The sponsor for the month is Free Grace Press. Free Grace Press is firmly committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the biblical truths of His Word. The inspiration of Scripture, the Trinity, the deity of Christ, the doctrines of grace, and the importance of the local church as expressed by the historical reform confessions such as such as the 1689 London Baptist Confession. To this end, Free Grace Press seeks to publish a wide assortment of Christian literature from both historical and contemporary authors who uphold these core commitments. Our heart is to make available books and tracts we believe will be spiritually inspirational, doctrally educational, and practically helpful for the universal church of God. The mission of Free Grace Press is to glorify God by assisting others in obtaining a deeper knowledge and greater enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ. Visit our website at freegracepress.com and use the coupon code The Shepherd's Crook for 10% off your next purchase. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I'm excited to be with you today from somebody that I've been recently learning from and somebody I think you're going to really enjoy hearing from. I am with Dr. Jeff Johnson today. Jeff, how you doing? I'm doing great. It's great to be on your podcast. Good deal. Well, we go ahead and start, we'll start with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into the questions. Father, we thank you for this time that we have, for all the crazy things that can happen with technology. We thank you for things like this that can be redeemed and used for your glory and honor. I thank you for Dr. Johnson and all he's doing within his church, within the fam- with his own family, and with the seminary, and with the printing, and with the press. And so, God, thank you for using him. Help us today to learn all that we can from him, and I pray that you'll guide this conversation. I trust that you will. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Dr. Johnson, for those that may not be familiar with you, would you go ahead and just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself? Tell us about yourself, your family, and then what it is that you do. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm from... Batesville, Arkansas. That's uh, in the middle of nowhere, between nowhere and nowhere. Uh, so we're out in the sticks. I'm a hillbilly by nature, but I do wear shoes. And the fact that um, God saved me at a young age, well, I was about 12 or 13, is by God's grace. And then um, it wasn't until my college years that the Lord really got a hold of me. Now, he got a hold of me at, at, when I was 13. Uh, I think I was soundly converted. And, uh, and I had some inclinations, even in high school, that I'd want to preach or I'm thinking about preaching. But I kind of ran from that, didn't think about it too seriously. Uh, but at, 20, at the age of 20, I fell into some, uh, some sin, fell into some uh, bad relationship, which led to an incident where I almost killed myself, or I tried to kill myself. And it was uh, intervention through my father uh, that kept me from, well, by God's grace, it stopped me in my tracks. That led to a deep, serious time of prayer and the Lord rescuing me from the sin that I'd got into in college and got rescued from a bad relationship, rescued from myself and that knowing that the Lord had delivered me from my sins and saved my physical life, uh, the day after that happened, I knew I wanted to preach. And so that's, mm-hmm. I was turning 21 shortly after that. 
a couple months after that, I'm 21. I transfer from a, from the university here in Conway, where I live now, to a Baptist college to get a, a my degree in Bible, and then from that, at the age of 21, um, actually about the age of 23, after graduating college, uh, the Lord through His providence. not necessarily the best thing a church in my living room that was 21 years ago and uh, we've been a church for 21 years but it was a difficult first 10 years of ministry church planning is very hard and difficult and i pastored 15 people maybe 20 people at times for 10 years by vocational uh, wow. pastor and then for the last 10 years the church has been growing the last three or four years the church has been growing growing like uh, like a weed. It's hard to contain the growth now. And five years ago, we started a seminary and 10 years ago, I started a publishing company. And, and it's like everything I'm doing, even the starting the church was kind of accidental. And I know that sounds kind of strange to be a church planner unintentionally and to start a publishing company unintentionally and a seminary unintentionally. But it seems like God has uh, raised up these things and or these things and i'm just watching what god is doing in my life amen man that's so cool well i am glad to hear that you're a guy that wears shoes so that's good um yeah. thanks for the honesty there and talking about uh you know the incident when you were a young man and it is amazing to see what god does in our life and he just catches us up into some pretty neat things where we kind of look and kind of look back and think oh my goodness look what the lord has done in your life yeah. it certainly seems like a testimony like that so you after the day after the incident, you knew I want to preach. So you had that internal call yeah. within you that God dropped in you. Hey, but first, let me just ask you this: Growing up in the South, uh, what, what did you do for fun down there? I mean, did you just did you throw rocks at stuff? Did you shoot guns? Did you run around <laughs> in the woods with your shirt off? I mean, what did you do down in the South when you were yeah. uh, when you were a kid? And and, and when what do you, what do you do for fun even today? And then we'll get yeah. to the, get to the good yeah. stuff. Yeah, we did all those things. You know, as a kid, growing up in the South is great. Um, uh, it's, it's unbelievable. I look back on my childhood and didn't realize how wonderful we had it. Hmm. I grew up with solid Christian uh, parents. My dad's a pastor. And so, yeah, we um, played in the Creek. We ran in the woods. We built forts. We rode on bicycles. I, I actually, the two loves I had as a kid was skateboarding and playing basketball. Okay. And I was fairly good at both of those, but not great. I was good enough to think I was better than I actually was. So I was going to be an amateur skateboarder, maybe potentially pro skateboarder. And I was going to play college basketball. And so I went back and forth in doing both of those things pretty um, uh, religiously, if you would. In fact, ba basketball was my first love. And in my 11th grade, first day of school in my 11th grade, I got in a car accident and it ruptured my fifth lumbar in my back. Oh my! And I, I went from being uh, uh, scouted from my colleges to um, not, not led to me being angry with God and why would God do that? But I look back now and, and how he took an idol out of my life. Um, and I was angry with the Lord for it because basketball was a big thing for me growing up. And uh, I look back now, it's like, yeah, he, he touched my back and crippled me just enough, not where I was in a wheelchair or not where I couldn't walk, but where I couldn't uh, have that 
first quick step that you need to play basketball. And I think, man, he could have put me in a wheelchair. He could have been more severe, mm -hmm. but he just, he just crippled me just enough where I would let go of an idol. Wow. And so I thank God for even that. And, uh, and, and skateboarding, uh, I, was, I love to skateboard, but, I, uh, um, you know, there's, I still, in fact, I still wish I could skateboard even I'm 45 and I still daydream about skateboarding, but my body's <laughs> old. <laughs> oh man. So 45. So you graduate, what do you graduate? 96, 97, something like that. Yeah. I graduated 95, 95, graduated okay. 95. So. Okay. So I was uh, 02. So you got me by a few years. I just turned 38. So I'm inching closer and closer to that. Oh yeah. That You're 40, getting me old. <laughs> that's right, man. That's right. That 40 year old Mark. You know, I love it though. You know, it's, it's interesting about getting older. Um, it's, I've enjoyed it. We've got three kids. Uh, we've got a seven-year-old, a three-year-old, and an eight-month-old little baby girl. So I got two boys and a girl. And I still feel pretty good. I just love playing ball growing up. I was about just basketball. Ate, drank, slept, sports, you know, yeah, all, all yeah. the way through college. Didn't didn't play college except for, you know, I was a uh, intramural, you know, right, right. Kind, of a, yeah. kind of a intramural, you know, road warrior or whatever. But we, we loved intramurals. But uh, the older I've gotten – I mean, I can't move laterally. I mean, if I went out and tried to play ball right now, I think yeah. I would snap both of my legs. No, uh, yeah. <laughs> you, yeah, you, it would happen. It would, it would definitely happen. But uh, <laughs> okay, so now, now to the serious stuff. So we, uh, we've established. Then you felt called into ministry. So what was that then process? That external, you know, recognition that you know this guy Jeff. You know, we we really we see that God's got a hand on him. I know you had your dad as a pastor, so it may have been a, a natural thing to know who to go to. But what was that external process like in, you know, for you going into ministry? Yeah. I asked my dad, it's like, how do you know you're called to preach? Uh, I mean, I said, have, how do you know? I kind of could see myself doing it. And uh, he gave me three things to consider. And I thought it was good advice. One, you got to want to, mm -hmm. a lot of people, a lot of people don't want to. Right. Uh, and so you got to have a desire and that's, uh, a good thing. That's where you get that internal calling, I think, is involved in just a sense of, of a burden, uh, not just like, hey, can I do this? But is there a burden that you want to preach after a while? But that burning within him was too much for him to restrain himself. So I think I had that, but there was more than just that internal call you need. Uh, my dad said the external call and you need opportunity. That's God's providence, open up opportunities for you and have to wait on God. And he told me not to go and ask for opportunities. You know, don't go just knocking down doors and say, hey, can I preach? Can I preach? Just wait on the Lord and see if God's providential uh, doors are open for you have teaching opportunities or just use the opportunities you have. I thought that was good counsel. And then thirdly, he said the church needed to affirm your gifting and your calling, and that would take time. Mm -hmm. And so just to wait to see if, if you do have opportunity and you have a desire, you need the church to recognize that in you. And so that's kind of what I did. I, my dad gave me my first opportunity. He says, you got a desire. I give you an opportunity. We'll see. We'll see you later if the church can affirm you. And I, I remember having like three months to prepare for my first sermon. And you would think my dad would set me down and give me some pointers, but he just left me to myself. Okay. <laughs> uh, left me to kind of, uh, kind of figure it out on my own. And I just remember studying and studying and studying. And of course I came up with a topical sermon. Uh, I, I 
preached a prayer. I mean, I preached a sermon on prayer and I just looked up all the verses on prayer and organized some thoughts. And, and I had like 15 pages of handwritten notes <laughs> and I went to go, I went to go preach it. And after 15 minutes or 10 minutes, I was on my last page and I was, I was so embarrassed that I studying and I was zipping through my, my notes so fast after 15 minutes, I was at the end of it. And I remember saying, well, that's all I have. And I uh, prayed and went and at like with my head kind of like in disgrace, uh, walked <laughs> to the pew and I was praying as I was walking out, feeling so embarrassed with that sermon and ashamed. I apologized to God. I said, God, I'll never do it again. I am sorry for misrepresenting you and being a disgrace behind the pulpit. And I sat down in disgrace uh, thinking that had had to be the worst sermon. And you know how people will come to you and say, hey, good sermon. And they're going to say kind and politeful things, especially if they know it's your first sermon. Uh, and I knew that, that you would get people being positive to cheer my soul. But I didn't think that all that stuff was going to mean anything. Um, in fact, I was embarrassed to look at people hmm. until one of the members of my dad's church, I'm, I don't live in Batesville anymore. I live two hours to um, the south in Conway, where I currently live. And so I didn't go to this church that my dad pastored at the time. And one of the ladies came up to me with tears in her eyes and she's just crying and crying and crying. And she goes, God has spoken to me. I'd almost given up praying for my daughter, hmm. wow. but your sermon has given me great hope to continue to pray for her and that God does listen and God will hear. And, um, and it's like, God could use that sermon to speak to someone. I couldn't believe it. Hmm. Well, wow. uh, it was amazing that, that she wasn't trying to give me a compliment. She was telling me something that God has spoken to her with. And what's, what's so encouraging, her daughter's name was Jennifer. And it was like two years ago. And that, that first sermon was about, well, I'm, tw I'm 45. I preached that when I was 21. So that was 24 years ago, I preached that sermon. And just two years ago, Jennifer, her daughter was converted. And God uses the weak, simple, you know, sermons. Wow. Praise uh, God. Oh, amen. To do his purposes and his, his, his work. So, yeah. So that led to me to be willing to preach again. That's amazing. That's so awesome. So now you're, let's just move forward to pastoring the church. You got Grace Bible Church. And uh, I mean, you said it's 10 years of pastoring 15, 20 people. And assuming that that was, you know, mountains and valleys through that, certainly. But that is a difficult thing. I've been a pastor, pastoral ministry now for about thir uh, 13 or 14 years. Pastored one church, that church plant merged with another church. Then I was a campus pastor at a, at a church. Uh, we're doing a multi-site thing. Uh, and then was an associate pastor at a church. And now we've been at our church where we're at for five years. And just in a great situation, we're hoping by God's grace, it's, it's the, for the long haul. But we certainly in our life have, have faced some difficulties. And I know it can feel like a drag 
can feel difficult to press on, you know, when you have smaller numbers, when you have a smaller congregation <laughs> yeah. and for doing that for 10 years, man, what was that like? And I mean, did you have times where you felt like throwing in the towel? Um, you know, how did you keep moving forward through, through that? Cause I imagine it was, you know, difficult at times. Oh, it was difficult. Yeah. Uh, that's why a lot of church plants don't make it. It seems like it's hard. You know, you get the initial rush of playing of a church. You got excitement at the beginning. And then if there's not a lot of potential, potential growth, it gets very discouraging quickly. And right. you know, I remember, you know, when you're got four families, three, three and a half families, and we've already exhausted everybody we know. It's not like, Hey, let's go knock on doors. I mean, we, it was like, very difficult because uh, there was little to no week to week, no visitors coming in. It didn't help that we were meeting in a single wide mobile home in the middle of the woods in Arkansas. It's just like, okay, here's a cult looking, <laughs> you know, and it's right. just, that's just, we had no website. It's just like, this is not good. But so there's, there's a lot of things you look back and say is it wasn't built to grow, but at the same time, you know, I was 22 all the way to 32. 32 uh, in those 10 years. And I look at it as part of my seminary training uh, to, because young, young men, you know, we, we want to be the next John MacArthur or Piper or whoever the guy we look up to, and we want to be the next uh, big thing. And a lot of pastoral ministry is stripping down your aspirations and your ambition where you get, where you're, you know that you're nothing and you can't do anything on your own. And are you still going to labor in the vineyard when there's no glory or when there's no recognition? Are you still going to work when no one's watching? Mm. That's the, that's the question. And I think God's looking for men that are willing to serve without recognition, willing to serve without much reward or much credit. And I say, I was a bivocational pastor, so I'm working on the side and I had a job that was convenient to be a pastor, but it didn't pay well. And I'm thinking to myself, I got three kids. Uh, I'm I'm making twenty one thousand dollars a year. Um, I got where I was making twenty five at the end, but like, man, you're making peanuts. I can't hardly survive. You're living from paycheck to paycheck, and then you're spending your weekends preparing for Sunday, so you have no personal time. It's your family sacrificing. You're financially struggling, and there doesn't seem to be hardly any any potential growth. And after 10 years, you get to the to this this realization. Well, this is it. Hmm. Um, it's not going to get after 10 years. We haven't grown uh, by vocational. This is just going to be your ministry. You're allotted to this to your life, and you can think, well, maybe I should seek better opportunities or other churches or search around. But you know, you at the same time, you kind of have a love for these people, and if you left. What would they do? No one else mm -hmm. is going to come in and pastor this church and right. do it for free. And I'm like, is there not an obligation you have for the sheep that you're caring for? And you're kind of in this position that's very, very hard. And I remember one moment in particular that that was very instrumental in my life. Uh, I went to Walmart, and that's about all we do. And I go to Walmart to go get milk or eggs or whatever my wife wants me to get. And I'm coming home from work and I'm having one of these moments that I, I need to go find another job if I want to get uh, to provide for my family. And I don't know how I could actually do a good job of really building a career. You know, here I am 
at 32 years old, I need to, I need to have a career by now. I need to have mm -hmm. something that's going to provide an income for my family. And if I did that, does that, how am I going to pasture and focus on that as well? Right. And I remember stopping it, stopping in the middle of the aisle and crying out to God, um, God, I want out of the ministry. Mm, um, wow. I, you know, I love you. I mean, it's not like I didn't love the Lord and love his people and loved to preach and love to study. I love theology. I, I loved everything about it, but um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm miserable. It is difficult. And I asked the Lord to, to give me a way out, uh, permission, if you mm. would, from God to, to um, resign from pastoral ministry. And I got my, my products, whatever I was getting, and I checked out. And between the checkout and the exit, I stopped and prayed again. And I remember I had friends. I had pastoral friends, a lot of people I went to school with that were pastoring big churches, okay. <laughs> churches that had brick. <laughs> they're not mobile homes. You know, they're, right. they have uh, salaries. And, uh, and I thought, man, what a wonderful thing. And I remember thinking that God had us that in his sovereignty had assigned my friends to the living room to clean the living room or clean the master bedroom or to clean the dining room hall. They were, they were given good assignments and God had, had assigned me to the janitor's closet. Like, okay, mm -hmm. I want you to clean this closet. It's in the middle of the woods. There's no windows. No one can see what you're doing just, but clean it. And it's, it's like the worst job of all the jobs could that could be assigned to me. And I remember stopping and praying to God. I said, God, if you want me to clean the janitor's closet for the rest of my days, if that's what you want in my life, help me to make it the cleanest closet I can make it. Mm. Um, Amen. Like, Gosh. just, just help me to do a good job. And that's, you know, you surrender again, you surrender your life, your, your aspirations and you, you mean it. You don't mean like, Hey God, I'll do this. Thou bless me. No, like what else can I do? I can't do otherwise. Mm. I'll, I'll keep making a minimum wage basically and pastoring and I surrendered to it. And it's like, God gave me a great joy the next Sunday for being pastoring those people. I always loved the people mm -hmm. and it's, it's not like I was miserable preaching. It's just, it was difficult. And there was a renewed strength from the, from that point on. And then the next thing you know, there's a visitor that shows up the next thing you know, another visitor, and then we're outgrowing that facility. Wow. And, uh, it's ever since then, things have snowballed. If I can use that word, things are just exponentially growing. Mm -hmm. That's about the time the publishing business publishing uh, started. And then five years later, the seminary is growing. And now the seminaries, uh, we get inquiries daily about students wanting to, to, to learn more wow. about our seminary. So it's things are just growing at a pace that I can honestly say I didn't do any of it. Hmm. Uh, this is not the fruit of my hands. This is not like, hey, I've built these things. No, God is ministering and working and his blessing is upon Conway, Arkansas. And I get to be a partaker of it. I worked harder for when I was pastoring 15 people than I'm working now. Hmm. Uh, and so I just, I'm watching what God's doing. It's more encouraging to be on this end of things 
But for those who are listening that are pastoring small churches, listen, that, that is a, a, the most important work. And people don't have to recognize what you're doing for God to know what you're doing is valuable and Amen. vital. And I, I honestly believe that it's going to be the unknown preachers of this world that's going to be first in the kingdom of heaven when the day of the Lord comes. And a lot of the more well-known pastors are going to be admiring the country preachers that are pastoring in obscurity. Hmm. Man, that's good stuff. And praise the Lord. And, uh, you know, it is amazing. I love the testimony of, you know, you're not starting a five-step program and selling it online of how to grow the church, how to start a seminary, how to start a publishing, publishing house. I love being able to look back and being able to just praise God for his grace to say, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like God just, uh, she just did it, you know, shrug, shrug yeah. your shoulders. <laughs> like, look that's what God's exactly done. That's exactly right. Yeah. Luther said after the, after many years of the reformation is I didn't do anything. The word did everything. And yeah, I, I can honestly say, I've just been preaching the Bible, just preaching, yeah. preaching weekly sermons. Yes. There's another Luther quote of something like I, I ate, drank beer, slept and the word did the work. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's what I'm referring to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but you're, yeah. you're, but you're president yeah. of Baptist seminary, so we can't throw a, you know, drank and, uh, and then slept. <laughs> and so anyways, uh, maybe the eating yeah, thing, yeah. I don't know. Um, all right. So yeah, we eat, we eat. Yeah, there we go. So, um, I'm a new within the last two years to post-millennialism. You're an Amil guy. And I recognize that this is the grace of God through your life to be able to start a publishing house and to build institutions. But when we think about the post-millennial vision, there is a, a resurgence really of people thinking, how can we build institutions? And it obviously it's not directly related to your eschatology, but and I mean, certainly there are pre-mill guys like MacArthur that are building institutions and, and really kind of working the opposite the way they're living the polishing brass on a, on a sinking ship. And yet they're still yeah. building institutions thinking about the future. So you're doing this. And at some point, you know, God had to drop that idea into your, into your mind and your heart. I'm going to start a publishing house and then we're going to start a seminary. So why do you think that's important, especially in this cultural moment where we're at, why is it important to build and to, I mean, from the family out from the local church out, why is it important for pastors to be thinking about building for the future? And obviously we need the grace of God to make that happen, but why not just polish the brass? Why not, yeah. you know, let everything burn down and throw your hands. The world's nuts. Everybody's nuts. Pastors are scared. They want people to continue to build cultural capital and they keep wanting to be liked by the world. Uh, so why not just go that route? Just be as liked by the world as much as you possibly can. But here it is. God dropped this idea and you started a publishing house and it had to take some sort of Holy spirit driven action to say, okay, well, how do you do this? First, yeah. you got, you got to type a book, then you got to get copyright stuff. Then you got to get some name for the publishing house. So why is it important for guys? Maybe they don't see the same sort of fruit that you do, um, or that you are right now, but yeah. why is it important to think about the future and why, why start and build institutions? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it was Luther getting back to Luther. I think he was said, what would you do if you knew the Lord was coming back tonight or tomorrow? And I may be wrong, might not have been Luther, um, but he said something along the lines, I would go plant a tree. And 
one of my personal mentors was asked that question and he's gone to be with the Lord. What would he would do if he knew the Lord was going to go to come back tonight? He says, I would go to sleep. Hmm. And you know, it took me a while to figure out what they're saying, but they're saying this, I'll keep doing what I'm doing. I'll keep doing what I'm supposed to be doing. We don't know when the Lord's coming back, or at least I don't. And so I do know that we have to plan as if it's going to be a thousand years from now. It's, it's not like you go, okay, we don't, we're not given that. So we're, we're given the charge to go into the whole world. We're given the charge to carry out our kingdom mandate. And that kingdom mandate is to keep on keeping on. And so I, I think of the great commission in, in a three tier method of carrying out the great commission. So for me, I want to know what I'm doing is mandated by God. I don't want to do things that I don't think God's in. I don't want to build a kingdom around my name, or I don't want to go, hey, this is my vision. Now I need God to get behind my vision, and I need you to financially support this, where I'm beating the drums to do something that I want to do, but there's really not really the blessing of God upon it. I want to follow God. I think what mm -hmm. God told uh, Aaron when Moses was about to, to go into heaven, he was about to die. There's this charge to Aaron. And it was really the great commission of the Old Testament. And he says, uh, lo, the Lord says, lo, I go before you. Do not fear or be dismayed. I'm going to go before you. Go and conquer this land. I'm going to go ahead of you. And that's what I want. I want to follow the Lord in everything I do. So I want to know what is this great commission and how do you fulfill the great commission? And I look at it as multiple ways. One, my most immediate need is to feed the sheep right before me. That's this Sunday. That's the most important thing. I put food on the table for Sunday. And that will take care of the most immediate need. And the second thing is I want to uh, get the gospel to the world. And so um, our church is heavily involved in missionary and seminary work in Cuba, Ecuador, uh, Brazil. We support missions literally around the world. 20% of our, 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 our church budget goes to international missions. That's awesome. And so we're, that's the second phase, okay? It's not just feeding the people around us. It's trying to feed uh, the gospel to the world. And so we're heavily on that. Then the third phase is you want to worry about the next generation. So it's not just about me and my generation. I want to have something that I do that impact the world after I'm gone. And that's how, like, how do I make the most out of my life? You do something that carries on when you're dead and it doesn't have to carry your name, let your name right. die, right. but your the fruit of your work carry on. And so I want our church to be so established that when I'm dead and gone, that the, the structure of the church is picking out the type of pastor that replaces me, where mm -hmm. the pastor doesn't come in and shape the church. The church is shaping the who and what type of pastor it, it pulls in. Amen. And then, then the, for the seminary, that the goal of the seminary is to, to equip the pastors for the next generation. So yeah, we support missionaries today, but we're training up pastors and missionaries for tomorrow. And that way, my life is having the biggest impact in fulfilling the Great Commission. And so, yeah, the publishing is all a part that as part as well. It's like God has chosen to use the truth as the mechanism to bring in his people. And so let's let's get the truth out, not just to us today, but for those tomorrow. Amen.
Yeah, that's good. It's good stuff. And by the way, listeners, there's going to be a partnership with Free Grace Press next month, and we've got seven really great books that'll be announced here in the next couple of weeks. And you'll be hearing an ad from Free Grace at the beginning of each of each show next month, which will be what is this month? October. So it'll be November. All of November, we'll be running running an ad for Free Grace Press. You got to check out their their collection and just doing a lot of great stuff. So I appreciate what you guys are doing with that because I think it is it's helping more than just you know the people in Conway, Arkansas. You're really reaching out and helping a lot of people throughout, you know, our country and, and even into the world. One of the books you wrote was on social justice. And I have really been alarmed over the last couple of years, how many people very disappointed with institutions that I had learned from in the past. You know, I grew up, so I grew up and I wanted to plant a church. I was a Driscollite man. I went to Pentecostal college and then I stumbled into reform soteriology through listening to Matt Chandler, Mark Driscoll, and a guy down in, in Texas named Neil McClendon. And Neil McClendon is just a, a fiery preacher. And these guys all in the same week preached a sermon on election. And I was listening to podcasts back then. And I don't know how I discovered podcasts, but I grew up in a church background. It was a Baptocostal church where, where Calvinism or any, any idea of, of Reformed theology was anathema. It was, mm. this is next to cultish Satanism, basically. And so uh, I started listening to Driscoll and just God just really opened my eyes to so many things. And I wanted to be an Acts 29 church planner, man. I mean, that's yeah. just what I wanted. My, yeah. From our same town, Darren Patrick was from our same town. Um, and I looked up to him and built a friendship with him. And, and you know, his life ended in a, well, anyways, it's just very sad. Yeah. Yeah. And um, then we started a, a church and we were part of the Sojourn Network, which was through Acts 29. Sojourn built out of Acts 29. And you know, you get to this point where, okay, I'm pastoring a church in the Sojourn Network, and then you start to see things all around you where it's like, man, this is, there's some ridiculous things happening around me. And I, you see the drift of Gospel Coalition. I saw the drift of, we're a Southern Baptist church as well, and started seeing things with the ERLC and with Russ Moore, where I'm thinking, this is, this is not right. There's, there are things here that are just, and you just couldn't peg it against the wall. You couldn't figure it out. You know, I couldn't anyways, right away. Yeah. And then, you know, with, uh, with COVID and with, uh, George Floyd and all these, you know, you start getting this, you know, I think it was 15 or, or 18 when the MLK conference was, and then things started to get a little bit clearer, like, wait a minute, man, this is, this is absolutely, uh, this is a massive error that we're making here. Started reading Vody Bauckham, got into Thomas Sowell, uh, started recognizing some of the, the issues. Long story short, uh, man, the obedience to God has been largely set aside on the altar of public witness. We got to build that cultural capital. We got to make people happy. We got to make the world, you know, the message palpable. And we, we've got to really just be liked by people. Mm-hmm. And man, it has been maddening over the last year and a half. So you recognize this long before I did so much that you wrote a book about it. It's one of the books we're going to be given away. And then with COVID, which is somewhat wrapped into that, because I think some of the same ugly root has driven our response to social justice and response to COVID, you know, mm-hmm. love your neighbor, help us, yeah, you know, yeah. be not be nice. So the, the, the root issues are coming out in different ways with different issues. So how did you see the issues with social justice where we're, we're at today? And then um, I just want to ask you about COVID too. Uh, I, yeah. I hope, I hope you're not requiring masks. We may have to have a different conversation <laughs> if you are. Um, and yeah. uh when the fall comes and the inevitable mask thing, we're in Illinois. So we mask vaccines, that kind of stuff, that kind of crazy craziness is going to be happening again. Yeah. How have you approached that? First off, 
social justice. How did you recognize that? And then how did you guys as a church handle COVID and how are you going to handle that? Or not really COVID. How did you handle the, the, the wicked government and legislation that happened around COVID? It wasn't really COVID, but, but it was yeah, the response. Right. So right. man, right. answer that long, huge question. Answer it any way you, any way you want. Yeah, sure. Go for it. No, that's great. Okay. Thanks. Uh, well, Honestly, it was a conversation I had with Bodie Balkum that really awakened me, if I could use the word awaken me, to, um, I'm sorry about my light going on. Hey, you know, real quick, funny story, funny story. I'll have to interrupt here. The light goes on. Is that a light sensor? Like if you don't yes. move? Okay. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, funniest, get... Okay. You're going to like this. Most embarrassing pastoral ministry moment for me ever. I'm a new associate pastor, first day of work at this new church. And so I go in, I've known this pastor that's the senior pastor there for years and goofy guy. I mean, older guy, he said, Hey, Jared, you're going to be the guy that replaces me. So first day I'm moving my office and I go into the bathroom. I told this on the, on the podcast once before go to the bathroom and I'm having to go to the restroom, just, just to go to the restroom. And I'm in there for four or five minutes, light goes off. So I'm thinking, oh man. So I get a piece of toilet paper, top, toss it over. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm a grown man. I can, I can do what I need to do with the lights off. And so I get up and, and I go out of the stall and the light comes on and I go to wash my hands and I look down at my hands, Jeff. And I'm thinking, what is that? And I look at my hand, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that's poop. <laughs> and then I look down and it's on my pants and it's on my shirt. And I'm thinking, how in the world did this just happen to me? What is going on the first day? So I go out and I, I say, uh, pastor, I say, uh, Ralph, uh, I got to go to the back. I got to go home because, um, I just, I got poop on my, on my shirt and my hands. And he looked at me and he's, again, he's a goofy guy. He said, Jared, you're in the right place. And, uh, <laughs> so I had to go on first day of work and it was because of uh, that whole, whole, whole light sensor thing. So that story for you and for all you. Yeah. Listeners, yeah. Yeah. At least that, it's, that, yeah. That was free. Okay. Now go yeah. back to it. You, you I'm feeling a little better. It. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, I asked Bodie Balkum about what he thought about a particular person that I was having concern about. And Bodie ends up calling me and we get in this long conversation. This is several years ago. And he's, he's basically outlining uh, his position. And I'm like, man, uh, this is not good. And um and that's about the time, you know, the George Floyd stuff is going on. And that's the time that you're seeing it's integrated into the sports. It's, it's, I see it everywhere. It's like that conversation with Bodie led me to go, man, this is everywhere I look. It's on social media, it's on our sports, it's on news, it's in our school systems and universities. And so it just led what I do when I want to know something. It led to me buying a lot of books. <laughs> so I spent, I spent a, several several hundred dollars and buying books and when i want to research something i go to the original like what is what did this begin what's the foundation of this so it started with me studying karl marx and reading his writings and understanding marxism then from that understanding um social marxism that that came out of that and then seeing how all this was a hundred year plan from the beginning. It's like, it's not necessarily a conspiracy. It was just like they understood for there to be real change in society. They, they had to integrate into the school systems and they use the universities as we would use the church. Hmm. And so they train a new generation into a, a new understanding of what justice is. It's a flipping biblical justice in onto its head. And you get, you get kind of in this, 
equality mold where you have equal outcome. Everybody has to have the same wages, the same right. uh, benefits. And for there to be justice, everybody has to have the same piece of the pie, the same size of pie. And so they're seeking to invert justice. Uh, in fact, commit injustice to get equality is what it ends up being. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I, I'm seeing this and I'm seeing it being taught and shoved down our throats. So it led to me teaching these things to our church. And I never write a book out of trying to teach it to our church. My books are generally something unrelated to my pastoral ministry. Okay. Uh, but in this case, this book was led out of the study. I did a six-week study on our at our church on Wednesday nights, and the book came out of that. And um, so that's what led to that. But during this time, you know, COVID is raging, and our church took the policy that um, we cannot mandate anything the Bible doesn't mandate. And so we left it to our people to make their own wisdom judgments on what they thought was wise for them. That's good. And so that was our policy. We just set that up. We did, uh, at the beginning of this thing, we did did Zoom for the first five weeks because we thought it was the Black Plague and people are going to be dying left and right. And so we thought, well, we don't want that. And so one of our elders says, yeah, we can disband services, but it has to have a meeting point back. We cannot do it indefinitely. And so we agreed, we'll, we'll take five weeks off. And we did, and but we didn't even make it five weeks before people started showing up to the services because <laughs> we would preach at the church service at the exact yeah. time. And people said, hey, can I sit in on there? And I, none of us said no. Right, and right. Next thing we know, we have 60 people <laughs> meeting in the church service. Uh, and people said, hey, we heard that we're meeting back. And we're like, well, no. So we ended up doing a, we ended up doing an outdoor service, and then we did another outdoor service. And we yeah. said, "What are we doing?" Everybody's hugging each other. Everybody's no no one's social distancing. No one's wearing masks. So we just met back in the building. Yeah, and uh, uh, and because of that, uh, a lot of the churches were not meeting, and so a lot of people started coming to our church that would yeah. have otherwise. And we grew right. we grew by about fifty people because <laughs> yeah. we were meeting. Right. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it's crazy that you obey the Lord and people end up finding you because of that. And the same thing happened with us. I mean, it was, I think two weeks, we did two weeks of the video and then we started doing the parking lot thing. And then pretty quick after that, we are like, exact same thing. It's time for us to gather. And, you know, when people come, came to us, came to our church, you know, we had a turmoil because anytime somebody comes to your church from another church, you're wanting to know what's the story. You know, are they a member in good standing? Did they have the mm-hmm. blessing of the elders? Right, and you right. want to, you want to go through all the appropriate questions. But when the motive for coming and joining and being a part of the church is our church isn't gathering, well, then it's pretty clear. Okay, come then, come. because yeah, that, come. that yeah. church not gathering, you can't assemble without assembling. I mean, that's the right. whole that's the whole right. point. And so if you're not going to do that, and so we we did we welcomed people. We didn't advertise it. You know, hey, yeah. if you're church isn't coming, you know, just come join our church because your church is terrible. We didn't do anything like that, but certainly yeah. welcome people in and, and praise God that there was fruit from that. And I, you know, that's one of the, like the ministry really, Jeff has been a pastor courage ministry. It's developed into that saying, Hey, listen, obey the Lord, honor him. And loving your neighbor never requires 
disobedience to God ever. You know, obey, obeying the Lord is always the best way to love your neighbor. Um, okay, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's ask a fam- family question, then we'll get to the final question. Time flies with these, man. We've been on here like yeah. an hour and, or almost or 45 minutes or so. So one of the things I want to encourage pastors with is building a household and building a productive household. Not a, not a household that just consumes, but a household that is productive. And what gets pastors taken out regularly is not managing their home, not building a household. You have so many different hats that you've worn over the last 20 years. How have you maintained building a healthy home that your children want to replicate? And hopefully you'll get to see your grandchildren grow up in a home Mm -hmm. that has been as awesome as your household has been. But how has that worked with you guys building a household with everything going on with all the hats that you have to have to wear? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very difficult, actually. It's like juggling. Uh, You got... uh, publishing company that's growing you got a seminary that's growing you got a church that's growing and it's like you're just juggling these balls and you've got this then this then this then then you have your family that you don't want to juggle that that's not right. a ball yeah. that wants to be up in the air that's want to be a consistent thing that you're you're focused on and um, what i've realized after 18 years of marriage is is um if if i give my wife time, like time, conversation, affection, uh, our marriage flourishes. It blooms. It's Mm. wonderful. If I neglect, I mean, I could be a provider. I could not be cheating on her. I could be faithful to her. I could be, uh, you know, a good roommate to her, you know, all the things I'm not tripping her up. I'm not hurting her. I'm not, you know, uh, being just good person to her, uh, being faithful, if that, if you would not use that word, but just neglecting her, mm. then our, our family wilts, the whole family right. wilts. Right. And so my job is to, uh, my job is to uh, make sure my wife is, uh, other than Christ, my number one priority. And then my children flow out of that marriage relationship. And so uh, being able to have meaningful, meaningful, affectionate, meaningful conversations with my wife. If my wife can be my best friend, hmm. then, then our marriage is going to be well and healthy. And when that I neglect that, and I have neglected it at times, and like I've been a good faithful husband, but I've not always been affectionate husband. And so that's, that's, um, uh, my wife's been very patient with me. She's the most godly person I know. And so she's a wonderful, wonderful wife. Uh, and I only have two, four children. My oldest two, my oldest one is, is 12, about to be 13. He was converted, soundly converted a couple years ago. Uh, the, awesome. uh, the nine-year-old, second oldest, he's struggling to know if he's saved or not. Uh, there may be that God has saved him, but we're not ready to confirm that on him. And so, but we're really encouraged with what God's doing with them. And then we got a, a, a seven-year-old who um, who is still trying to understand the gospel. Then we have a five-year-old girl that's um, hard to keep her focused. <laughs> so, uh, so we're we're in the thick of raising kids, and it's wonderful. I love my family. Yeah, that's one of the best things about my life is the family that God has given me. Amen. That's good. That's really good. Well, uh, last question, 
And I really want to set you up. I do this with everybody I interview. I just want to set you up to praise God for his grace. So Jeff, Jeff Johnson, by the way, do people call you Jeffrey or Jeff? Because I've been calling you Jeff the whole time. Uh, Jeff is the number one thing. I, I go by everything. but Jazzy Jeff. Jeff. Yeah, Jazzy. JJ, whatever. JJ. JJ. I was thinking, I, I bet his buddies called him JJ. Yeah. But all right. Why do you love Jesus? Why do you love Jesus so much? He saved me. No, I mean, I go back to that day that I had the gun locked, pulled back. You know, it was moments from putting it to my head and I was about to blow my brains out. And the Lord intervened. And my life has literally not been the same since then. Hmm. Um, just a few weeks ago, another amazing thing happened to me. About five weeks ago, I was coming home from church and I thought I preached a pretty solid sermon. And, uh, you know, I'm on cloud nine because I'm walking with the Lord. I had a great time of prayer and devotion before Sunday morning, then preached a sermon. To, you know, if I, if I was in the Holy Spirit, if I was ever in the Holy Spirit, I was in the Holy Spirit um, preaching at that, that Sunday morning. But I get a text message the other afterwards that threw me in despair. And it was just a little bit of bad news, but it, it knocked the blocks out of my feet. And I went mm thinking that the whole world was crashing down. And I come to the realization that I was, I was seeking into despair. And I thought, man, I could kill myself, hmm. um, you know, over something stupid. And I, I, you hear me talking about almost killing myself. Now, I, I'm not suicidal. I've, I've never thought about endangering myself ever since I was a young man in that moment of despair 20 years, 24 years ago. But I went so deep down in, in despair over, over nothing, over a small text message, that I realized that it wasn't the problem that, I, that got me depressed. It was the fact that I had no faith. Mm -hmm. I had to question myself, do I even believe what I preached? Is God even real? And I come to the conclusion, yes, God is real. The, the, the Bible is true. Everything I believe is true. I just don't know if it's real to me. Mm -hmm. I don't feel it. And God had purposely, it seems in my mind, let me, let me have a moment to myself. And I realized I am nothing. Hmm. I realized that I was one step away from being a cow. I was one step of being away from <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar. And then God came back to me supernaturally and restored my faith, strengthened my, my courage and used my father-in-law to do it. And I come to the conclusion that I am a weak, weak, feeble, unworthy, faithless man if it's not by the grace of God. Mm. Everything I have, everything that I am, it is by the grace of God. And mm. it's not that I just know that intellectually. I just know that because that's the right thing to say because I'm. I've read the scriptures and that's why I felt it into my bones that I am nothing and Christ is everything. And he is, he is the strength. He is my hope. He is my savior. Without Christ, literally, literally, I would, I would fall into the darkest pit of hell without mm -hmm. him. And so I, I know, I know, emotionally, I know that God gets all the glory in my life. And uh, I don't want to steal any of it. I don't want yeah. people to think something of me um, after such experiences as th that I've been through. Yeah. Amen. Thanks so much for sharing that. And, and praise God that you've had moments like that where God has reminded you of his grace and 
Um, man, well, this has been a lot of fun. Would you go ahead and just tell us where we can find more information? Tell us about, and by the way, I love that you guys just embraced the strip mall seminary uh, meme or, or that whole thing. I <laughs> yeah, love yeah, that. Yeah. That wasn't something you were embarrassed by. It wasn't something that uh, that you guys, you know, were somehow wanting to bury or hide. But I just went to yeah. the G- G3 right. conference and I picked up my my strip mall seminary shirt. And so I just love that you guys yeah. have gone with that. So why don't you go and tell us a little bit about where we can find more information about you, the work, and uh, and everything you got going on. Yeah, yeah. That thanks for asking this. Yeah, if you want to know more about the strip mall seminary, you want to go to GBTS um, or GBTSeminary.org and go to our website. You can inquire about that, learn more about what we're doing. You could go to our church website, uh, GBCConway.com. Or if you want to look for a good book, I've written 10 books. Um, most of them have been published through Free Grace Press. Some have been published by others. But uh, if you want to know more about the books that I've written or any books that we've published, we've got 50 books out for Free Grace Press, and we're starting to put out three to four books a month. So we're on schedule to do 48 books for the year 2021. And so we're actually now kind of steamrolling. Things are really picking up uh, uh, with the publishing company. And if you want to know what we have, or what is coming down the pipeline, uh, go to freegracepress.com. You'll be prompted if you're not, if you haven't already, you'll be prompted to sign up for our email. Uh, We really encourage you to do that because every time we have a book drop, we only send out one email a week, by the way, so we're not gonna pester you. One email a week of either something on sale or a new book release. And so you can learn more about us or me at those sites. Awesome. And, and real quick before we finish, I'm imagining, I imagine that the seminary has been exploding in the last year and a half and great pickup with Dr. Strand down there. Have things been going pretty well with seminary? Oh, it's unbelievable. Um, you know, we went with the strip mall seminary because it was used as a kind of a, a kind of trying to make fun of us. But right, actually, we, right. we're five years old. And we have a beautiful, beautiful facility that God has given us. I mean, it was literally given to us by God. Wow. It is amazing. And now that we have uh, almost a full faculty with Dr. Strand, myself, uh, Preston Kelso, Dr. Kelso, uh, we have uh, two more faculty members that we're about to uh, 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 release. We're about to make announcements of two more faculty Come members. Come on, you, you have this opportunity right now, <laughs> Jeff. I mean, we can that- make it official. Oh, you just put it this way. One of the names will be like a Dr. Strand. It's going to be, okay. uh, it's going to be um, awesome. Pretty, pretty amazing uh, knowledge uh, uh, announcement. Uh, so, and then we have, we've gone from right now we're at 40 students, but we probably have 40 students inquiring to, to enroll uh, that could potentially come in next semester. So we may be up to 80 students, uh, but we're, we're, we don't have a desire to be thousands of students. We want to keep it a small seminary and, and keep quality men that are truly called of God, who are faithful men, godly men, that want to um, preach the gospel and be unashamed. Amen. And so we want to do our best to give a robust theological education and not just give them theological education. We want to help shape them in their characters. We want men who are godly and, and and that's what the world needs more than anything else is faithful pastors. Amen. It's good stuff, guys. We've been talking to Dr. Jeff Johnson. Jeff, so thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Hey, man, it's been great.
been fun. Good deal.